Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for this opportunity to come and worship you in, in the study of your word. We thank you and ask you to lead and guide in all that we, we look at today in your son's name. Amen. Amen. All right, Proverbs 23, starting at verse 25. Thy father and thy mother shall be glad, and she shall bear she that bear you shall rejoice. My son, give me your heart, and let your eyes observe my ways. For a whore is a deep ditch, and a strange woman is a narrow pit. She also lies in wait as for prey, and increases the transgressors among men. Woe, who hath woe, who hath sorrow, who has contention, he, who, hath, who has babbling, who has wounds without cause, who has redness of eyes, they that tarry long at the wine, they that go to seek mixed wine. So we'll stop with that for a moment. I promise you all that is not why men's eyes are red. <laughs> <laughs> Too much wine, Ayla. Oh. No, she has allergy. She's a teeth allergy. We'll look at verse 24 real quick. It says, The father of the, the, father of the righteous shall rejoice gladly. Uh, greatly rejoice, and he that begets a wise son shall have joy in him. Thy, your father and your mother shall be glad, and she that bear you shall rejoice. When you have a righteous child and, and a child doing the right things, it is a great blessing. Yeah, yeah, it's a great honor. Even when our kids do something right, we take honor. Even if they're not a righteous kid, if they do something right, we take great pleasure in them. Yes. And this is this is a normal thing. This is something that is is very much uh, part of who and what we what God wants us to be. And this idea of being glad, being glad in our kids. You know, anybody who does anything where they are in charge of something or, or running, you know, and they're the, the person who's in charge, whether it's a father and a mother of their family, a business owner, a pastor, when they watch people that they train, they instruct, do things right, there's great joy and, and blessing in that. You know, it's great when your kids do it, it's, but I, I take great pleasure in, in the growth I see of the people here in this church, you know, the, and watching God change people's lives mm -hmm. for the better, and it's a great blessing. I love watching it. I love seeing application. On the contrary, on the flip side of that, I, you know, it distresses me when I watch people make bad decisions when, you know, especially right after we've taught something and I watch them do just what we taught them not to do, you know, not that I'm going to go chide them and get all, you know, but I look at it and saying, it saddens me. You know, the same thing as a father when your children do things that aren't correct. My, my one son went out on a date with a girl who wasn't saved and I'm going, you shouldn't be even going out on this date. And he gave the famous last words of most young people, it's not like we're going to get married. Mm. <laughs> he ended up marrying the girl. Okay. And to this day, as far as we know, she's not a Christian and he doesn't go to church hardly anymore. So we watch these decisions that get made and we try to correct decisions and say, this is what you should do, follow God's word. And then we make the mistake and go off and do something that is not according to God's word, and we suffer the consequences for that action. And for a teacher, a father, a pastor, it's a hard, hard thing to watch happen. I have a question, and it's personal, but I think it's applicable to everybody here. When your heart and flesh want something so bad that you're not sure whether you can justify it in the word, is it, will it work for you to, to ask God to take it over and listen to my heart, but do it your way? Lord, I want this done your way, not mine. I would drop the listen to your heart because your heart will always lie to you unless, oh, it's, totally, to unless it's totally converted to God. The idea is though, God, change my heart, change my attitude to match what you want me to do through your will. I like that. Thank you. Because we, if we follow our hearts, we will make bad decisions. And that, if you remember when we watched the movie Fireproof, you know, most people, when they get married, they're following their heart. They think they're in love when they're in lust and mm -hmm. lust and all that. And then when they no longer have the, the lust and, the, and those good feelings about that person, they're following their heart to get divorced. 
you know, they're going, I just want to do what makes me happy. And that is where we get into our sadness, is when we start following our heart, trying to make our flesh happy, we're going to go on. You know, unless we have been so spiritual that our heart will give us God's will, which is very rare, you know, and it can happen. You know, sometimes God's going to give you the desires of your heart, but it has to follow within his word. And too many times I've, I've talked with young people, usually girls, who say, well, I just feel God's telling me to get married to this guy. I know he's not a Christian, but I can, I can turn him around. I can get him to be saved. I'm going, you're going to make the biggest mistake of your life if you follow your heart. God says, don't be unequally yoked. Do not try it. Yes, one in a thousand may convert that guy, but 999 go into destruction of their life. There's nothing you could have done to prevent your son from going on that date. There's, or in retrospect, is there anything that you could have done or should have done or could have, would have, should have done? Could, 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 I, could I have taken a 16? His own could I have taken a 16-year-old and said, no, you can't go on that date? Yes, I could have you know, not let him have the car, not let him have that. But, but you better make his own consequences, make his own decisions. When my kids got to a certain age, I did let them make a lot of things that were wrong decisions. And the reason I did that was because when they hit the hard times, I wanted to be there to try to so help them fix, in, up, fix the problems. So now he's in his own consequences. Yeah. Uh, because there are, a lot, there are a lot of parents who try to keep their kids in line all the way until they, they move out of the house. Yeah, 50. Which is great on one side, but when they leave the house, now when they fail, now when they fail when they've left the house, there's nobody to pick up, help pick up the pieces because they are now independent. And that's what Richard accuses him of. So and he, so he's independent. He did I, I believe that parents, when their kids get to a certain age, you know, I'm not going to say go out and do anything, but you let them make certain mistakes, you know, because you're right. I could have said, no, you can't. He'd have found a way to go on this date anyway. They would have bothered, borrowed her her parents car without you know without the thing saying you're you're restricted that night and you're not going anywhere right but if you try to force your force it on them it's not going to work out in the long run packed his own parachute and it's the same thing when i teach and i watch people make some bad decisions unless they ask my counsel there's not much i can do and even if i counsel them they may still go off and do the wrong so wrong thing so <laughs> It's, father and mother, you, you, you stand feel. back and you, you've, you've made your, you've told them what they should do and what God says to do, and then you, you stand back and you help them pick up the pieces. As a teacher and a pastor here, I'm going to teach God's word, and I'm going to be there to help people pick up the pieces when they, when they go the wrong direction, because God can restore. And that's the great news, is God will restore. I have, I have not given up hope on, my, uh, on that one child who did this thing. God can still get hold of him and still, still get, you know, get hold of him and help him and, and, and grab hold of him. He was trained correctly from an early age, and he's making his decisions. And this is something that all parents have to realize, and all teachers, we are not in control of those that we're, we're put in charge of. What's her name? Who? Well, I'm not going to we'll tell you anything on, on tape. Oh, never mind. I'm sorry. Sorry, <laughs> sorry, 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 sorry. I'm sorry. Uh, we're not responsible for the actions of our children because they are responsible for their consequences. Even if we do a terrible job raising our kids, we probably did the best we could under the circumstances and with the training we had. And we make mistakes, we all make mistakes, but they are responsible for their reaction to those, to the training they've got. And psychologists like to find somebody to blame and they like to blame the parents, you know, you did all these things wrong. And you know what? I made plenty of mistakes raising my kids. Plenty of mistakes. Uh, they could point and say, Dad, you did this, especially my oldest one, because I was a workaholic 13, 14 years of his life. Now, Suzanne got a great blessing. She had dad most of her life. By that time, I got my life pretty much written together. And she was really a daddy's girl because I, did, I was there working at home, doing her homeschooling. When we first moved to Kingman and I had to go out to work, she did not like that at all. Daddy, daddy had always worked at home. Daddy was always right there. She went out to work, but I was there. Uh, so, but, you know, did I make mistakes? Yes, I made lots of mistakes. 
the, the people are still responsible for their reaction to what they know God has taught them to do. And this is true for all of us. You know, when we're raised up in Christ, you know, with the teachers we have, a lot of times there's a lot of teachers out there that just don't apply God's word and may not even teach it very well. And if we sit under their leadership, then we're going to get a very inexpert teaching, which then we will pass on to our kids and everybody else that we disciple. But we're, we're still responsible to get into God's word. And this is why I always say the most important thing that we can do is get into God's word and check out what we're taught. Be a Berean, you know, and Paul praised the Bereans. He says, you go, you know, you Bereans are, 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 are good because you are going into the scriptures and checking out what I'm saying. You're not just believing it because I say it. And I've said it over and over. If you sit under a teacher, whoever, if you ever sit under a teacher and they say, believe it because I said so, uh-uh. Get as far away from that teacher as quick as you can because whether they're wrong or right on that particular statement is irrelevant because if they're teaching you to just take it because they said so, then you're going to get taught wrong at some point in your life. Because I can guarantee I'm not on purpose ever going to teach something wrong, but I may say something that doesn't come out the way I meant it to be said, or I may even be dead wrong on, on what I said, and I'll learn as I go on that I was wrong. My mother used to say, do as I say, I mean, do as I say, not as I do. Yeah, bad That's news. That's not a good way to raise your children. You don't talk like that, bam. Well, then why did you? Yeah. But Is this, it right? Change my heart, Father, to match your word and your will. That would be good. Okay. Because we're supposed to go into with everything we do with knowledge and understanding. The greatest thing about Christianity is the word of God is very logical. God doesn't just say, go to the edge of the mountain and jump off the cliff because I'm going to save you. <laughs> you know, he gives evidence. And I've said it over and over. Nothing that he tells us to do is going to be 100% provable. But for me, it's more like jumping over a little ditch, a three or four foot ditch, rather than trying to jump over the Grand Canyon. And you a lot of people, die. yeah, you know, well, I just don't know if I can do this one, God. This is just way too much of a, and God's no, study it, look over it. You know, you're just stepping over a little stream or, or you know, jumping over a, a four-foot, you know, chasm, not a, not a mile and a half. You know, and, and we want to be able to understand. God says, come, let us reason together. I love that. He never wants us to just jump off into, into the middle of things without understanding. And faith is not this idea of jumping off a cliff. We exercise faith all the time. When we walk into this room and we choose to sit in these chairs, we're exercising faith that these chairs are going to hold us. For all we know, somebody would have come along and sawed, sawed the legs so that as soon as you sat down, they felt that they would fall. But because it, you know, we come in, we have faith. They, they've always helped us. We know they're going to I, I haven't gained 50 pounds or 100 pounds since I, since I last sat in one, so it still should, still should hold me. I don't know. <laughs> but this is the faith that God has. He comes in. How do we know that Jesus resurrected from the dead? We talked about that on Easter. All the evidences, you know, solid evidence. Can I prove scientifically 100% that he rose from the dead? No, but man, the evidence is so strong that he has proven beyond reasonable doubt. We could go to a court of law and say, beyond reasonable doubt, we can prove that Jesus rose from the dead. Now, can I prove it 100% and get rid of all, any question in your mind? Probably not. But... The proofs are so strong that to me, it's, it's, there is no doubt. No doubt at all. It's not even a faith issue for me that he rose from the dead. You wouldn't have any trouble convincing me. <laughs> I don't think she would have any trouble buying it either. So, but, but we exercise faith all the time in what we do. When we get into our vehicle and we drive someplace, we're exercising faith that I'm going to get from point A to point B. Is there a slim chance that I won't get there? Well, depends on how it depends. If I'm drunk, there's a great chance I won't get there. If I'm, if I'm regularly, normally who I am and driving, the chances are I will probably get there, barring any crazy drivers or breakdown of the car or, or the vehicle or whatever. But we know that we're exercising faith, and God is saying, be reasonable. Study to show yourself approved, a workman that needs not be ashamed. Peter says, be ready always to give a defense for what you believe. What we believe is very defendable. You know, the word of God being God's word is easily defendable. The idea that Jesus was born of a virgin, 
with all the prophecies that went into it ahead of time. The, the Bible is a book that has so many prophecies in it that have been fulfilled. And people will look at it. There was a time when they used to say there were two Daniels. The, one, the first part where before he got into the prophecies. And then sometime they looked at all the stuff that he prophesied and said, well, that had to have been written, you know, in, in, in 100 or 200 AD because there's no way, uh, BC, because there's no way that he could have gotten all these kingdoms perfectly accurate the way he did. God gave it to him. And the, when they found the Dead Sea Scrolls, it was one of those things that helped to prove that the Bible was true and that, because it had old scriptures that they were saying, oh no, there's no way, they had to have been written. And they found them before they, they were supposedly after. The Bible is God's word. We can trust it. We have no problem with it. And when they start talking about all these books that weren't accepted and weren't, weren't accepted and therefore man picked the books, the problem with all the books that were not accepted is it's pretty much proven that they were written two, three, four hundred A.D. or later. You know, and they put the names of the apostles on them, but that didn't mean that they wrote them. <laughs> and they have complete contradiction of what we have in the word of God. So they're not God's word. And so we want to be careful about all of this and not, not buy into it. If any time that you want to, the world tries to say that something in the Bible isn't correct, wait a little while, it'll be proven that it is. Mm -hmm. yeah. Isn't there a book of Thomas? Mm-hmm. Well, there's one that has his name on it. That's what I mean. How do we know he didn't write it? Well, because it was written, I think it was three, 300 A.D., and it's a Gnostic, and it's a Gnostic uh, book. I forgot. What does the word Gnostic mean? Gnostic means n gain special knowledge through, through revelation. revelation. Okay. Most of the New Testament is written against Gnosticism that's in it. And the sad thing is that, especially in academia, they're trying to make Christianity Gnostic Christianity and not what Christianity really is. So we want to be very careful when you talk to somebody, make sure you know what they're talking about. And this is why when we witness to people, when we talk to people, when somebody tells me they're a Christian, my next question is always, what does that mean? What does that mean to be a Christian? Because there are people, not so much nowadays, but especially in the 70s and 80s, when you ask somebody, are you a Christian? Of course, I'm an American. Okay, and I'm going, well, that's not what being a Christian means. So Gnostic is special knowledge through? It's knowledge gained through special revelation from God, secret knowledge. Those who are close to him get special, special insight into God that others can't get because they're not close enough or spiritual enough. And then, then you'll get some people say, of course I'm a Christian. My dad was a minister. And or grandpa was a minister. And I go, well, God doesn't have any grandchildren, so tell me more about it. You know, but we need to get deeper. When you talk to, to various cults, they'll tell you, of course I'm a Christian. But you talk to them and they're, everything they're doing is being built upon works. I'm trying to work my way into heaven. I'm trying to please God. Nope, sorry, you're not a Christian. And people sitting in, in many denominational churches, mm -hmm. you start talking to them and they're going, of course I'm a Christian. I, I, I work real hard. I'm good. I, 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 I try hard to keep God's commandments. Sorry, that's not how you get to heaven. What is the correct answer? I accept Lord, Jesus as my Lord Jesus and Christ is my Lord and Savior. I deserved punishment, and he came into my life and, he took, it for me. and is my, took my sin and, and covered me with his blood and made me one of his children. Or of that, you know, will everybody know the exact answer? You know, I'm not going to say everybody's going to have the exact right answer, but if somebody tells me that it's based on works or anything else, then I'm going to say, no, you've got, you don't know what it is. But if they tell me in some simple way, you know, I asked Jesus Christ to be my Savior or to forgive me or, you know, I said the sinner's prayer, you know, I will then explore deeper into did they mean the words, you know, are they truly there? Because I want to make sure, because the last thing, and I've all shared with you about this, this person I was witnessing with has had the 14 backed up against the wall and had him say a sinner's prayer. The greatest fear that I have for that kid is that at some point in his life he's going to think, I'm a Christian because I said this prayer that I did not mean. And that scares me because he doesn't, he probably will never remember the words, but he'll just remember, yeah, I had that crazy lady that made me say this prayer and told me I was a Christian. So he's going to, he may believe, and I don't know for sure, but he may believe to this day that he became a Christian that day 
And I pray that that's not true. I pray that that's not true because it was not, he was not ready to listen that day. He should never have been forced to say that prayer because he may still to this day be thinking, I said this prayer and, and, you know, and not saying God couldn't make the prayer happen if he started going to church and learning about him. But if he just puts his faith in that prayer that didn't mean anything, it scares me. You know. When someone asks me what I am, I tell them I'm a born-again, bought-by-the-blood, Bible-believing Christian. And if they say any more, I tell them that the day's coming, I pray, that if I'm arrested for being a Christian, may there be enough things like him in my life that I'd be convicted. Yeah. And when we are saved, God changes us. I, I am a firm believer that if somebody can't say that something changed in their life, they're probably not saved. Because God says we become a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And if somebody can say to me that they're not they got saved but nothing changed in their life, then I have, you know, I have problems with that because it says that he's going to make changes. I got saved and God delivered me from a temper and, and gave, started working on giving me love. So there was a great change in my life. I was no longer in fights every day. I was no longer picking on people just because they looked at me with a look I didn't like. There was a great change in me from the day I got saved onward. So I go, I was a new creation, brand new creation. Now, did I have lots of areas that God had to work in my life? Absolutely. <laughs> but there was a big, big change in my life. And if I hadn't gotten saved, I'm absolutely convinced that either I would have been in prison or dead because I would have killed somebody or they would have killed me because that's how bad my temper was. So God delivered me from what was the worst part of my life, even as a young child, because I was mean. You know? And I've seen young kids that are that mean. And I know what they're going through because I've been there. I've been there where, you know, just being mean, even to adults and teenagers. I mean, I had teenagers that feared me because I was that mean. Uh, and I didn't, size didn't matter to me. I was just, I got, I was an angry kid who lashed out at people. And God changed that the moment I got saved. Now, there's lots of things that's taken them a long time to work out of my life, but that was a big change in my life. And, I, and since then, I've watched how he's changed my life, and I can say, I know that I'm being changed. It's not me working it out, it's him working it out. And this is what you're looking for, is God changing your life. And I can say there's so many people in this church, I'm watching God change their life as they're growing in him and being changed. And it's a pleasure watching it. Amen. It's a pleasure watching it. It's, it's a pleasure that I get a small part of that. Because you know, anybody could be doing what I'm doing, but God's allowing me to be that part. And so we want to look at this and, and go forward. Um, verse 27. For the whore is a deep ditch, and a strange woman is a narrow pitch. She also lies in wait as for prayer, uh, pray, and increases the transgressors among men. And this is the idea that it is easy to fall into sin and hard to crawl back out. <laughs> okay? The, the, the whore, the prostitute, is a deep pit. It's easy for people to fall into that pit. And if it's a deep pit, it's hard to get out of. And in a narrow ditch, if you fall into a narrow ditch, you, you can get yourself jammed up and it's just hard to get out of. And that's what it's talking about. Sin brings this way of it's easy to fall into and hard to get out. And we've all probably been there at some point in time where we've wallowed around in our sin and just been stuck. Uh, just we can't get out unless somebody comes along and helps us and sometimes that's what it takes as a brother or sister in, in Christ to come along and say hey come on up let's help you out without the judgment without the criticism but let's help you move forward let's move forward with God and it is so easy to just say I'm here I've given up and we're getting ready in the next chapter where it's going to say that the righteous falls down seven times and gets up the sinner falls down and stays down. And we'll get into, maybe get into that one and look at it, but 
when we're with God, we will keep getting up. He will keep lifting us up. He will keep lifting us up. The, where you know you're in trouble is when you see somebody fall and they just lay there and just lay there and wallow around in it a little bit. And God's saying, no, that's not what I want out of this individual. And it says, she lies in wait as for prayer, uh, pray, and increases the transgressors among men. Sin lies at wait to drag us down. And we've talked about this over and over. Never, ever think that you're so strong that you cannot be tempted to sin. Even if it's a place where you think you've gotten victory. There's so many people who say, okay, I'm, I've gotten over this sin. And then they put themselves in a place where they're tempted. Hang around people that are doing it, whatever it might be. Uh, we, we can use alcohol, which is coming up. You know, like stop drinking, and all of a sudden you hang around those who are drinking, those who are in, in go to the bar and hang out with them. You know, not really the smartest thing to be doing. Because it will eventually, where you think you are strong, you will fall. Pride goes before the fall. And the moment you think, there is no way that I'll ever fail in that area, look out, you will. And I've, all, and I've shared with you all, when I was a teenager, if anybody had ever said there would be a day that I didn't go to church and, and read my Bible, I'd have laughed at them. And yet, when I got married, I got, a, I got into my job, I started being a workaholic, and I drifted away from church for a couple years. And if anybody, when I was a teenager, had told me there'd be two years where you didn't go to church, I'd have laughed at them. I'd have thought they were insane. There's no way that that would ever happen. And yet it did. Why? Because I put a lot of faith in my own strength in that area. I'm going, there's no way this would happen. And all of us have some area in our life where we think we may be so strong that there's no way we're going to fall. Look out. Because that's the area that Satan will get us because we're not on guard. If I think I'm so strong, I'll never fall. I'm not going to put a guard on that area of my life. And Satan will, Satan will have the victory. He will bring us down so fast in that area. And we'll look back and say, wow, how did that happen? Mm. How did that happen? How did I ever get to this place that I never thought I'd be? And it's critical for us. It's critical for us to keep that in mind. And you know, never believe that we're so far out that we're never going to fail in an area. All right, let's go. We're going to read a couple of verses, read to the end of the chapter on this. Who has woe? Who has sorrow? Who has contention? Who has babbling? Who has wounds without cause? Who, hath, who has redness of eyes? They that tarry long at the wine, they that go to seek mixed wine. Look not you upon the wine when it is red, when it gives its color in its cup, when it moves itself aright. At the last it bites like a serpent and stings like an adder, that your eyes shall behold strange women, and your heart shall utter perverse things. Yea, you shall be as he that lies down in the midst of the sea, or as he that lies upon the top of a mast. They have stricken me, shall you say, and I was not sick. They have beaten me, and I felt it not. When shall I awake? I will seek it yet again. This, is very, this verse is used by most people when they say that alcohol, you shouldn't be drinking alcohol, and it's probably a good idea not to drink alcohol, but the Bible always says that the sin is to be drunk. And these verses talk about <laughs> drunkenness. Okay? Now, will I say that it's good to go out and drink a little? Probably not. I, I don't drink and I've not had any desire to drink. Um, but having a glass of wine or a glass of beer isn't the end of the world. <laughs> if you drink a lot of it, <laughs> you're going to have problems, you're going to fit just this description. So we're going to look at this a little bit. It says, who, who has woe, who has sorrow, who has contention, who has babbling, who has wounds without cause and with redness of eyes, they that tarry long at the wine and go to seek mixed wine. Now mixed wine was what they would take as the, they, you had the wine which is mostly fruit juice, very low alcohol content, and then they had the mixed wines which we would almost call cocktails to this day, but, not, but they were using wine it was spiced, usually had spices that helped in, helped in intoxication, helped strengthen the wine, uh, you know, and that's what it's talking about here. And it says, who has woke? And anybody who's ever been into drinking knows that it almost always brings hard times. 
Yeah. If nothing else, it's the next day with the lies. with the lies, cars, <laughs> yeah, broken back. All kinds of things that it brings. You know, if nothing, at the very least, it gives you the hangover the next day. There's all the accidents that happen when you're, you know, even if you were trying to walk home. That, you know, back in the days when they would try to walk home, they still couldn't walk straight and would walk into things and stumble over the the ruts in the road and 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 all of that. And it says, you know. Who has sorrow? Who has contentions? Who has babbling? You know, I've, I've met a couple of drunks who all they do is babble. And they're not even coherent anymore. Right. Uh, and these aren't true of every single person that drinks. Some people will not have the babbling. Some of them won't stagger. Uh, but most will get to these points. Yeah, this, is a, this is a picture of the average drunk that is being brought up in this. And then it goes... You know, who has wounds without cause? We can't figure out why I have the wounds. Okay? Either they got beat up or they might have even fallen and don't remember falling. My excuse was always every time I got there, oh, I fell over the cat. <laughs> <laughs> and you might have. <laughs> In the night. In the night. <laughs> so all of these things that happen, who has redness of eyes, which is, you know, the alcohol on it. And then it says, he that tarries long over the wine. And that whole idea of tearing over the wine. And again, it's, we're, God is not saying no alcohol. Okay, we don't want to get to this place. And we were talking on the way up here how so many Christians will use this type of, this set of verses to say, don't drink at all. Don't drink at all. It's bad. And I'm not saying that drinking anything is good. But Paul told Timothy, drink a little wine for your belly because of, of the problems he had with his stomach. And sometimes, and we've all seen this seen it sometimes wine has got a good reputation for helping settle the stomach as long as you don't overdo it and make your stomach worse off with all the alcohol in it yeah I think but a little bit of wine the studies show are good one third two thirds water yeah. you're supposed to mix it with water and they had to mix water with their wines here too so on the strength and so the idea on this is would i say ever tell somebody to go drink wine probably not because it is so easy to be compulsive about it and drink too much. Dave, the, the preacher on the radio today, do I have to be careful with names there too? No, I would. Uh, when he was talking about the grape juice, said that grape juice itself is absolutely one of the best things you can take for a, a, a sour or a bad stomach. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I didn't either. I would have thought it would cause indigestion. Me too. Yeah. Again, I don't know when, because he was very adamantly against drinking at all, oh, so yeah. I would be very careful even accepting what he said about grape juice because he was trying to justify grape juice as opposed to wine. Right. Uh, and so you want to be careful. I mean, there's a lot of pastors out there, and I'm not going like, to say wine is good and alcohol is good in any way, shape, or form, and I would encourage people to avoid... <laughs> alcohol because of how addictive it can be or how easy it is to go beyond the one or two glasses with dinner and you know and at what point are you getting too far into this you know and and when do you cross into being sober into being drunk and I don't know that it's the same place that is the legal limits uh, any place where it starts numbing your thought process even if you can still operate you're starting to cross into alcohol you know into drunkenness because you're getting something else that's controlling you. And this is something we've got to be careful of. Anything that takes us and numbs our thinking is dangerous. And this can be as simple as movies and television. If I am so engrossed into my movies and television that I am numbing my mind and turning blank, I've got a problem. I have a problem if I'm getting numbed by my television. If I'm being numbed by my, my exercise, exercise could be the same way. I get, I'm just exercising so much, I'm not thinking, I'm just being numbed, numbed. Anything can be taken to excess and making us numb and stopping our clear thinking. And this is why we have to be careful. God does not want us to get to that point where our mind is emptied. And I have problems with entertainment because entertainment, we, we close down our rational thinking 
and we just kind of vegetate and who knows what messages are crashing through our into our brain and being embedded. I know darn well what's being embedded. If I'm conscious and watching what I'm doing, then at least I'm saying, no, this is not what I need to be. This is bad. But how many times have you got to an end of a movie, an end of a show, and then you're going, what did I just watch? What was this garbage that they were showing me that has been embedded in your mind without any thought guarding it? This is why any entertainment, music can be, music is probably even worse than TV. How many times have you ever said, I don't know the words to a song, but as soon as they start playing the song, you can sing every word of the song. If that's a bad song, you're in trouble. <laughs> you know, because you have embedded these words into your, into your subconscious mind without being filtered. I worked at a restaurant one time. I was stationed, I was reassigned to this one, and when I first got there, they listened to rap music. And because I don't usually change things, the very first day I get there, I'm going, okay, well, I'm not liking this. This is, this is going to change. By the second day, I was actually starting to understand the words and saying, this is changing today. <laughs> because I started actually understanding the words to the songs, and I'm going, I am not working 45, 60 hours a week embedding these words into my brain. Okay. Because we, we start... The music, the entertainment comes at us from a whole different channel. We shut down our minds. We're just, it's just background noise. It's just whatever. We need to be careful. We need to be careful. Anything that numbs our brains and keeps us from thinking is going to get us in trouble. I wish singing a song. I sang it all the time. Come lay across my big grass bed. I thought it was kind of a, a song for husbands and wives and I kept saying, one day my, the boy's daddy said, would you please stop and listen to what you're saying? It is not about a brass bed. It's about a grass, marijuana. Mm. <laughs> yeah. mm. I, I've never thought that about that song, but He's I've never listened that close to it. Across my big brass bed, he's talking mm. about grass. Yeah, I've, I've heard that about. I've heard things about that about a lot of songs, and I'm, you know, if you want to say that, that they are all bad, then then you can make all these things. And you know, most of the rock songs were supposedly all about drugs and everything. And I, no, I've listened to most of them, and I'm going, no, they weren't. You know, and it's, but most of those things came from. Um, crazy Christians who say, were saying rock and roll is bad, so everything has to be about drugs and alcohol and sex. So it's, you know, and so they, they put all these bad things out about all these songs. Now, some of them are bad. Don't get me wrong. Some of them are bad. But it was these radical, crazy Christians who were adamantly opposed to rock and roll. And if you remember, in the 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, if any Christian listened to rock and roll, there was a huge group of them that said, you're an awful terrible sinner. How could you listen to all this music? And it was always about drug, sex, and alcohol. And, and there was no redeeming value in any of those songs. And most of them are just songs. I think that it, I'm sorry. I, I took a $2,500 class called Broadcasting Workshop. So I was on the air for three hours a day, seven days a week on night shift practicing. But then the training, everything's in a song, is left wing, right wing, or middle of the road. And middle of the road is a dangerous place to be. You know, all, all things, all things are either left or right. I mean, it's... Every song, it made it so simple when they taught yeah. us that it's, every song is left wing, right wing. Every... You know what that was. Every right. teaching, every time you teach, you cannot teach without bringing what you believe out as, as a teacher. And the, the government keeps this whole idea and they're trying to push all of Christianity out of the schools because it is religion. Well, you cannot teach without religion being taught. You're going to teach some way of thinking, period. Right now we're, we're endorsing in our public schools humanism, the, the religion of humanism. That's what's being pushed. It is a religion, and we are, our schools are teaching religion, and you cannot teach without having religion, how you think, coming across, and how they should think coming across. There is no neutral teaching. About the only thing you could teach that's neutral would be mathematics, because it is a pure science. Mm -hmm. 
as long as you don't get into word problems. But as soon as you start getting into word problems, you bring in a way of thinking and our current, our current word problems for math are extremely liberal oriented. This mean, terrible guy is chopping down these trees to get money and he's chopping down this many trees per day. How long will it take him to wipe out the forest if there's this many trees in the forest? Okay, and that is basically, I mean, they may not put mean, terrible, but the idea this guy's destroying the forests. Okay, and these are the type of problems they're throwing out there now. They are, they are a opinion of something. They're uh, psychologically telling the kid this guy's it terrible. It's wrong is to cut down the trees. Right. Of course, it's all right to sit at your dinner table that's made out of wood, but you can't cut down the trees. You can't get wood. Well, don't, you, you don't give them logic, Annie. It's not, you can't, oh, you can't bring logic into their teaching. The forest for the trees. But anytime you read, what you assign them to read has different uh, sociological you know, and religious teaching. When this country was founded, they were founded on religious principles, and everybody learned to read with the New England primer, and they were taught the alphabet by associating it with Bible. And we've, we've talked about this. You know, the very first one in the New England primer is A, in Adam's sin we all fell. Okay, and that's what they were taught to read was by associating the letters of the alphabet with a biblical input. And so, and we've sh shifted over time to be totally different. And we've thrown God out, and you cannot have a vacuum. There has to be a God that's taught. And atheists want to have no God, which is their God. Right. They worship a God of atheism that is no God, but they're still worshiping a no God. They're believing they're an atheist. You know, they're still worshiping. Even though they'll deny that they're worshiping, they're worshiping at the altar of a no god. What is humanism? Humanism is that man is man. Everything man is everything. Me 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 me. Well, it's a lot of that, but it's man has all the answer. Man man is basically good until he's until he's corrupted. Uh, you know, there's a lot in humanism. It's a huge huge religious movement, and they deny that it's a religious movement, and that's how they got into the schools. Uh, but anytime you teach somebody this is how you think you're teaching a religion then you can't teach without teaching people how to think and this is why it's dangerous to try to try to say that you know you're you're removing all religion you can't you're just replacing one religion with another religion and the key is to know that you're doing so and it's an amazing fact that in America in the 1600s 1700s we had almost 100% literacy in this country, and now our literacy rate is ridiculous. We're one of the lowest in the, in the industrialized world because we no longer teach. Right. And the reason that we had such a high literacy rate was the same reason the Jews have a high literacy rate. The purpose of learning to read so that I could read the most important book out there. Okay. And if I don't have a purpose to read, to read the most important book out there, I'm not worrying about teaching people to read. And a matter of fact, our, I truly believe that our government does not want a literate population because then they would read. Yeah. And if they read, they might realize that the government is cheating them and doing bad things to them. And so an illiterate populace is the easiest to control. Mm -hmm. And that has been said by every dictator in this world and our government is doing no less. They're trying to keep the population illiterate. And so they can control them. That and paying them off. All these, all these subsidies is not to help the people. It is to make them dependent upon the government and make slaves out of them. Nanny state. A nanny state, but it's, it's to make a slave out of them. Nanny. If I give you money, then you're dependent on me to keep getting that money. And as long as I'm going, as long as you do what I want, I give you the money that, that you know, then I'm in control. And that the government is doing that. And it's not just the poor people they're doing it, they're doing it to the corporations and everybody else. Everybody who takes money from the government is controlled by the government. They have to do things the way the government tells them to do it. And this is how they get control. And it's a sad place, but we have almost every group, rich, business, everything, poor, 
all taking God's, uh, taking money from, from, from the government. And this is when, when Bush came up with this idea of trying to get faith-based groups to take money to help them do their job. I, I, I said the worst thing that any group can do is take that money. Because as soon as you took a dime from them, if you wanted more, you had to do things their way. Their way. And while you have a good president, that may be okay. But at some point, the president changes. Yeah, I learned about lobbyists. So all of this becomes critical. We need to stand for God. And this is why I'm so strong about things. I want the church to support itself. And, I, and I've had this very thing. I don't even like the idea of yard sales and fundraisers that go outside of church because basically to me that's telling people our God can't take care of us. We need to go out to you and have you support us. And I don't ever want to have that problem. I, don't, I never want that to be said or even implied. God will take care of us. He will find a way to get us the money. Other people will get the money and give it to us. We'll get gifts from other people. But to go out with our hands out to the, to the world and saying, we serve a God who's so weak that he can't give us the money we need, I have a problem with. And this is why you'll never see me pushing for fundraisers that go outside of the church. Doing a fundraiser within a church is one thing, but doing is not going to happen. Yeah, or Jesus upsetting the apple cart and doing the kicking out the money changers. Yeah, that whole story of that was his example. Well, that was that, more. That was more than that. There, more there was a lot of cheating, I mean. cheating of the people going on. Verse thirty-one. Look not upon the wine when it is red; it gives its color in the cup when it moves itself upright. And that's talking about the fermenting process and the. And the bubbles coming up, the, the carbon dioxide bubbles coming up out of, the, out of it, and it turns, the redder it gets, the more it's fermented. That's what I read. That's what I used to make wine. Yeah. And there's all kinds of examples of, if in, a, in a big vat of wine, you know, when we're talking about the industrial-sized vats of wine, you can get intoxicated just by putting your head over the wine at a certain point, point in its fer fermentation. Uh, when it gets so strong that you can be <laughs> intoxicated just by the smell. And there are stories in, in the old days of, of guys that would be checking the wine, dipping in to see how far, how fermented it was, and then they get intoxicated to the point that they fell in yep. and would drown, which would ruin the entire batch. But, <laughs> but I, I, I know what this feeling is because when I was working at the hospital as a housekeeping, somebody in the lab broke a gallon of 200 proof alcohol Ooh. and I was sent to clean it up without putting on masks or anything else which I now know should have been done because yeah. that 200 proof alcohol number one is used to be called 100 proof back in the day and it would ignite gunpowder it's intoxicating it lifted every every bit of wax off the tiles and then lifted the tiles yeah. off the floor and here I am sweet you know mopping it up mm -hmm. you know wringing it out you know and having these fumes hit me now i didn't get totally <laughs> drunk from this but i got buzzed by <laughs> cleaning up this alcohol so this is what he's talking about when things are so when it's at its strongest place this is not when you're supposed to be burn your eyes looking at it or goggles and a mask i used to put the paste wax on my floors and buff them oh i had beautiful floors and I had stuff when the baby was born that I kept in alcohol. And in putting the lid on it and setting it down, I missed, and the jar broke. And I mean, it stripped the wax off all the way down. I'm surprised you had that strong alcohol in your house. It, it, it ruined my wax job. Yeah. <laughs> I had some experience with straight ammonia, too, working in janitor, mixing oh, it. I can't do yeah. that. Ammonia for the windows, doing ammonia. Yeah, I can't do that. You should joke around here, sniff this. Yeah, that, that takes you up. And then it says, at last it bites like a serpent and stings as an adder. They're Alcohol deadly. is deadly. It is deadly. And most people who have known anybody long enough, it hurts. It, they'll, they'll get hurt at some point in their life by the alcohol. And, uh, Eight broken vertebrae. Huh? Eight yes. broken vertebrae. Liver damage. Liver damage, damage to the body. Damage from, you know, in, in an accident, damage just from falling down if you were trying to walk home. Uh, all this stuff, it says, then verse 33, Your eyes shall behold strange women, and your heart shall, and your heart shall utter perverse things. And, and this is, 
these are where the jokes come in. You know, the the woman at two o'clock in the morning at the bar looks all of a sudden looks very nice, and you you know, maybe the man too. I don't know, but anyway, your 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 perception totally changes. So an adder is a serpent. An adder is a, is a serpent. It's a, like a cobra, like a cobra. It's a, I mean, it's more of a viper. Yeah, one of those viper. Neurotoxin an snakes. An asp. Did it, did it say there? Got a shot, a bite sharper than a serpent's tooth? Last, it, last, it bites like a serpent and stings like an adder. Alcohol, drunkenness will make that change. And it says that, you know, it'll change the appearance. Your heart will utter. Your, you'll speak perversities. You'll say things that you would never say sober for most part uh, because you're losing control. The alcohol is numbing your, numbing your rational thought and all of a sudden just things will be said. And says, Yea, you shall lie down in the midst of the... You, you shall be as one that lies down in the midst of the sea, as he that lies on the top of a mat, put, mast. And that's talking about the tottering and, sh and stuttering and shaking. Oh, you know, okay. uh, if you think about a boat, it's swaying back and forth. Somebody who's drunk is going to have that sway and, and stumble. And, I thought that was, I thought it so, was so stupid he'd pass out up there. No, no. This is this is talking about how they how they actually walk. They they have stricken me, shall they say, and I was not sick, and they have beaten me, and I felt it not. And when shall I awake? I will seek it yet again. Yep. You, you know, and this is that idea. They get beat, and they don't feel it because the alcohol is you know so much in their body. They don't feel the beating, but later on they're going, "What happened to me?" You know, I fell down and got hurt, and what happened to me? And then the last part is, when I wake, I shall seek it again. That breaks my heart in a million pieces. And for those who are, are following into the drunkenness, they just seek it again, over and over and over again. Accidents, a major accident won't keep them from it. Hurting somebody is not going to keep them from it. Hurting themselves doesn't usually keep them away from them. It takes a major work of God in our heart to really get us away from it or some, something to pierce through and make us get rational about it because uh, sometimes people get, get out of it without, without God. The, the greatest successes are those that get, use God to get out of it and replace it. And this is what I've said over and over again. It doesn't matter what our sin is. It needs to be replaced by something. And we need that. We need it to be replaced. And the best thing to replace our sin with is God, Jesus, God. You know, because if we don't replace it with him, we're going to replace it with something. You know, for some people, they get, they get rid of the alcoholism and then they replace it with AA or the 12 steps or, mm -hmm. and everything is concentrated on that to really the same degree. <laughs> the same degree they concentrate on that. Or they, they will replace it with another sin that may be just as bad or worse. But we will always replace our sin with something else because there is never a vacuum out there. We have a hole in our heart that needs God to fill it. And we will always seek and look for something to fill that, vac that vacuum and that hole in our heart. And nothing will fill it. And we hear the stories all the time about people who get saved. Well, I tried drugs. I tried alcohol. I tried, you know... Work. I tried this. You look at the book of Ecclesiastes, and Solomon, and Solomon tells you all the things he tried to fill his heart with. Vanity. You know, and he says it's all vanity. vanity. Nothing fills that empty spot that only God can fill. Why? Because it's an infinite hole in our heart that it takes an infinite God to fill that hole. Nothing in the flesh will ever fill that hole. And nothing will do it. And we've, we've seen, we know or have heard the testimonies where somebody said, I did this, I did this, I did this. My, dad's, my dad did the same thing. He filled it with alcohol. He filled it with, with uh, the martial arts, not just the exercise part of it. He was literally into the religious side of the martial arts. He filled it with witchcraft. And he finally came to God and got totally saved and filled. But he'd been looking for it in all different ways. You know, the old story, looking for love in all the wrong places. It needs God to fill. And I know that song doesn't end with God filling it, but it really is where the only thing that fills that emptiness, that need for love, 
is God. I believe that we each have the love of God in our hearts and in our in our psyche, our minds, our soul. We have the desire for it. We have, and we don't know what it is. Right. We don't understand unless we're taught as children. Well, we were created in His image, and we are created to need Him. Him. We are created in His image, and we need a relationship with God. And religion won't fill the hole. Giving me a bunch of rules that say, do this, don't do this, do this, and whether it's a Christian religion or a, or a pagan religion is not going to fill that hole. It is a relationship with the God of the universe dwelling in us, changing who we are to be like Him because of the relationship we have with Him. And this is why I do not like it when people say Christianity is a religion. Because if you're using Christianity as a religion, it's not Christianity. True Christianity is a relationship with Jesus Christ and the God of the universe. And he fills that hole, he fills that emptiness, and we are able to go forward in a walk with him that is just superior. And when you're there, you know it. Uh, and I like, I like to remind people that we are not, Jesus never called us Christians. He never told us to become Christians. Christianity is an accusation. It was originally. Mm -hmm. And it started in Antioch. Antioch was in Antioch, Christian. they were first called Christians, and basically it was an accusation. You're just, you're just little Christ. And, and they, they just were, happened to like the term, and they said, sure, we want to be that. And, but but to, be, to be found out as a Christian by the Roman government meant death. Yeah. So... so but it is, it is what we're looking for. We're looking for a relationship with the God of the universe. And so when we're talking to people, the greatest testimony we have is to talk about what God does for me, what he's done for me. When I share with people, he took my temper away. You, there's no way anybody can argue with me about because that's what he did for me. Mm -hmm. Now, they may say it wasn't him, and I know better, <laughs> and nobody's going to convince me that it wasn't God who took it away. And for each person, you know what God has done in your life, that it was not you. Was not you that did it. And this relationship with God is the most important thing because that is what changes us. That's who we become. In the Old Testament, it talks often, we become like what we worship. And when we worship God, we're going to become like God. If we want to wor worship mammon or money, we will become just like what money does, which is not good. If we want to worship, you know, uh, life, you know, right now we've got people that are getting into all the extreme sports. Why are they doing it? Because they want to feel something. They want to feel that adrenaline rush as they get close to death. And the sad thing is many of them meet death without ever meeting God in the process. There's a new show on television. Have you seen it advertised? Probably not. Uh, extreme, extre extreme... I ain't watched it real close because I ain't interested. Yeah. But and I am interested because I have a daughter-in-law that loves to watch this stuff. Yeah. You're putting your life on the line. Yeah, it's. Yeah, but it's exciting. <laughs> yeah, because you're sitting here, but it ain't gonna be if they break their neck. But the whole idea for those people that are doing it. They don't have God in their life. They don't have they mm -hmm. don't have any meaning in their life. So they're trying to do something that makes them feel like, and that's the the lure of lure of sin. Period. Have you ever maybe sorry. maybe I'll feel something if I do this. You know. Have you ever got chewed out by God? Yes. Did you feel something? Yes. But. But we want, we want to get, number one, we want to get away from the idea of I need to feel something anyway. Amen. Because too many people get to this point of, I don't feel saved. Well, who cares? Did you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Did he change your life? Yes, then you are saved. It doesn't matter whether you feel it or not. We get too many people who get divorced because they no longer feel in love. Who cares? It's a cycle. Give yourself about two or three, you know, three to five years and you'll feel in love again. You know, and it is true. It goes in cycles. There's those times when I feel in love. There's those times when I don't feel I'm in love. And the great thing is when you both feel in love at the same time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, the bad thing is when, when you're not doing the other one. Yes. Get your cycles together. But the, the most important thing about this is to understand that God is true no matter what I feel. Yes, amen. 
His word is true no matter what I feel about it. J. Vernon McGee says, wherever he and God disagrees, it's him that's wrong and he has to get back with God. Yeah. You know, I'm the same way because he taught it. It's like, I disagree with something I read. It's not God's problem. <laughs> Something's wrong with me and I've got to get it corrected because God's word is right. And we need to hold on to it because too many times people have been tempted. For years they said that there was no such person as David because they could find no historical reference of David. David's one of the most important people in the, in the Old Testament and they couldn't find any historical reference and then all of a sudden they found all kinds of references about him. You know, but for centuries and millennia they said there's no such person as David, there's no record anywhere of him. Give it long enough, God's word proves to be true. And Joseph. Yeah, Joseph. They'd like to prove that there was no Joseph. So, but we want to be able to stand on God's word. And we want to be able to stand on God's word, whether I feel it or don't feel it, it is true. Let's close in prayer. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for your opportunity we've had to look at your word. We ask you to go with us as we go out today. Lord, bring, a, bring many to the movie tonight as we watch the movie. In Jesus' name, amen.